0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 22.
0: I consider myself extremely lucky to have discovered this passion, you know, and that, you know, it it's, has sustained me for so many years.
1: Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome! to the art of awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. Each week, we dive deep into uncovering the difference between the average and the awesome. We talk with thought leaders, business moguls, health and fitness professionals, and world-class athletes as we look for the secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and I'm just excited to talk with you all today because today we have an incredible interview with a very close friend of mine, and I think this is going to be an interview you guys are gonna get a lot out of. Um, I know that I just always enjoy getting to talk with this person. Our Our guest today is... Um, a doctor in her own right, a USA Freestyle Kayak team member. Um, She has started her own health clinic uh, on the banks of the White Nile over in Uganda, and just an incredible individual, very, very giving uh, in all aspects of life. And we go really deep into uh, the power of why, um, into gratitude, into doing what you love, and then we kind of just touch on COVID and, and kind of how to prepare ourselves, both physically and mentally, um, and yeah, it's just an amazing uh, interview that we go in depth on a lot of different aspects. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one, so let's wait no longer, and here is our guest, Dr. Jesse Stone. Well, Jesse, thank you so very much for joining me today. As always, it is my pleasure to get to talk with you, and I just love hanging out anytime that we get to hang out and talk, so this is going to be a ton of fun.
0: Nick, I likewise. I'm always thrilled to talk to you, and it's been a while, so it's really fun to catch up on stuff.
1: Awesome. Um, and so, Jesse, you are a doctor. Uh, you have competed on the USA Freestyle Kayak Team several times at the World Championships. Um, And honestly, I I just consider you, uh, you know, one of the most giving people that I've ever met. Wow, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You've you've started a health clinic in Uganda near the banks of the White Nile. uh, And you and your team there have done some just incredible work. And I've been able to, you know, luckily enough, I've been able to see some uh, of the work that you've done there firsthand but can you just kind of give us a little bit of a rundown and, and just explain how the whole health clinic started and, and why Uganda and just kind of, yeah, sure. the origin of Soft Power Health?
0: Absolutely. And with pleasure. So, you know, of course, all things, all good things in life start with kayaking. And so, um, you know, back in 2003, I went on a sort of expedition style trip to the Nile and back to the Zambezi, where I had been a rafting guide, you know, years before, um, and this was to film a playboating video with Eric Jackson and Clay Wright, and we had Chris Emmerich along for the ride, and I'm trying to remember el- who else we had. I think that was it. And then we um, we went to the Zambezi first, and then we went to the Nile. And while we were at the Nile, you know, this incredible section of whitewater where we were just all like, oh my God, I can't believe how beautiful this is and how amazing it is. We only have a week here. Um, EJ, Eric Jackson, got malaria. And I was like, this is the most bizarre thing. This guy was taking prophylaxis. He was sleeping under a net. How did he get malaria? And I ended up treating him. And so two things happened from that. One of them was that we discovered that EJ was not, in fact, taking his prophylaxis. And so it made sense as to why he got malaria. But number two, it made me ask a much bigger question, which was, what do the local people do here to protect themselves against malaria? And so I had sort of a two-pronged Idea. I wanted. We didn't have enough time on that trip, that particular trip, to investigate in depth the reasons why this was. Um, So I, I made a plan to come back, and I had at that time met a woman who connected me to a local woman in uh, the village of Chibera, where the clinic is now based, uh, to interview locals in the village we did went to 50 homes to assess what they knew about malaria you know if they understood how it was transmitted if they owned mosquito nets how much money they spent every month on malaria you know if they had family members dying from malaria you know all those kind of things and if at the end of the day they were interested in learning about prevention methods like how to protect themselves and their families from malaria by sleeping under a mosquito net and then the final question was, would they be willing to buy a mosquito net? Not be given one, but buy one. And so um, this was also coupled with another kayaking mission to Uganda. So I was getting to kayak on the Nile and I was getting to you know, do this assessment, this survey in the village and get to know the community better. So the long and the short of it was, the kayaking was incredible, but the survey we did was unbelievable out of 50 homes we went to, not a single person we interviewed understood how malaria was transmitted. Not one understood that it came from a mosquito bite. And um, everyone was interested in learning more information about how malaria was transmitted. Everyone was interested in being able to purchase mosquito nets at a price they could afford. And that started the idea to do an educational outreach for malaria and to sell subsidized mosquito nets to people who were interested. I had no idea at that time of wanting to start a clinic. That was not in my mind, but I was very interested in doing this educational outreach for malaria. At the end of that visit, um, I was introduced to the mayor of the village, known as the LC1, and he said, we are going to give you community land. Would you build us a clinic? And I sort of thought, well, I know nothing about this, but it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. And so um, that was the genesis of how Soft Power Health started. And um, so from that time, and that was back in 2004, we built the health clinic and we continued malaria outreach. We opened the doors of the health clinic in January of 2006. I believe you were there, Nick. And I believe that you and Emily and Dane and the Jackson family helped construct some of the clinic. So um, we have photo proof of that, which was really cool. Um, And since that time, we have also opened other educational community-based health outreaches. So we, we have one for family planning, which is all about education and offering methods of family planning both to women and men um, which is very well attended. That's been running since 2007 and then we have a nutrition malnutrition and nutrition outreach similar style where we help educate people about nutrition and malnutrition so that they can create balanced meals from the food that they grow and we offer you know, information about clean water, vaccination, deworming treatment, vitamin A supplementation, just basic things which many community members have no access to at during these outreaches. Um, and we do follow-up visits also to people's homes to assess, you know, like, did they retain knowledge? You know, did they have further questions or challenges at home? Um, we have an outreach for Uh, domestic violence against domestic violence, because that's a big problem that's kind of under the radar screen. I mean, around the world really, but it's definitely a big problem in Uganda. And then finally, we have an organic gardening outreach, which um, starts at our home garden right next to the clinic. And then um, we help uh, many people, our most in need patients who have nutritional challenges to develop an organic home garden in some form or fashion that they can then run themselves And they can use out of the garden what they grow, but they can also sell any extra for some income generation. So that's also been going for at least hmm, 2020 now, 10 years. Can't believe it. Um, So and the clinic itself has gotten very, very busy. So in an average year at our primary care clinic, we see over 35,000 patients. So we see that many patients at the clinic. And then through all the combined outreach programs, we see another 15 to 20,000 people. So we have a big reach in the community now. And, you know, one of my big passions is education and prevention and trying to help raise the level of education, especially around these health issues of the communities. And many, many people just don't have the opportunity to learn about these things. They're not taught in school if they go to school. And many people cannot afford to go to school, so they don't. You know, so most people... They, their knowledge base comes from what's passed on through the family or the community, you know, about things like, let's say malaria, how it's transmitted, you know, the common belief about malaria transmission up, and to, up to this day, um, you know, but it's a lot less widespread and pervasive, is that malaria can come from too much rain, from eating too many mangoes, if someone sneezes on you. So they're not, you know, the whole bit about the mosquito biting you and, delivering the malaria parasite to you is not really understood. Um,
1: for how is people. that How is that perceived? So I mean just because and I'd sorry for interrupting oh. you there, but I just wanted to no no no, no, really it's not at all. Kind of dive into that because I think one of the amazing things that, that I believe that you guys do is it's not just that you provide care or, or you know give something away, but that you're providing the knowledge that goes with it. And because obviously, you know, as they say, knowledge is power. Um, How is it taken and and perceived by the locals when you explain that like like this malaria is coming from a mosquito bite and not from, you know, mangoes or the rain or whatever? Like, do people believe you right away or or kind of?
0: Yeah, no, you know, people, the thing that's extraordinary is people are so hungry for knowledge. They want to learn. And the thing is, because we have such a great system of educators, they're local educators and there are, you know, they're medical people and non-medical coupled together, but they're trusted community members. So the information being delivered by them to the community is heard in a way that they can understand it and they can accept it. And certainly there's always time for question and answer, you know, so people come up with incredible questions, like really smart questions. and you know, they are, they also choose to be there, right? So they want that information when they come to an educational outreach, you know, they're not being forced to be there, they choose to be there. So it's something they recognize will help them or benefit them in their life. And, you know, this is further borne out when you go to someone's home and you do a follow-up visit, whether it's to look at a mosquito net or to assess their knowledge on malnutrition, you know, Mm -hmm. you can see like whether they hung up their net or not, if they have more questions or what their home challenges are. And you know, the vast majority of the time, there's a positive outcome to that. Like you see the net properly hung, you ask people you know, who should have the preference to sleep under the net, you know, and, and they answer you correctly, children under five or pregnant women. You know? And, um, and that's, you know, they take that on board. And so um, that is really heartening to see. And it's also just incredibly educational from my point of view, because you learn so much about how people live and what their concerns are, what their challenges are, that helps us, you know, sort of tailor our programming and what we do to meet people's needs, you know, so we can be continue to be effective.
1: That's amazing. It's uh, I I totally agree in that. Like anytime I was with you and doing the the home visits, um, I, I, I always personally felt like that. I guess just a deeper connection with the people being that you get to see their homes, you get to see, you know, how they're living and all this stuff. And then just try to really connect with the people. Like, are you, are you, you know, accepting this knowledge and putting the practice into use and stuff like that? And, um, it's super, Well, the other thing is
0: because, because, you know, in this healthcare system, especially in the rural communities where, um, it's a very broken government healthcare system. And so we're trying to fill in gaps where we can, but, you know, work together with the government, not, you know, say the government is bad and like we're better, but just try to work together. You know, that's always going to be better in this kind of a circumstance and in any circumstance of way, you really, um, but the You know, the people are so amazed that you've made the effort to come and visit them at home. They're so grateful for that, you know, and I think that also helps reinforce, you know, the knowledge you're delivering. It gives them another opportunity to ask questions and to also tell you, hey, I had a problem with my net, or this was my concern, or, you know, this is, you know, this is our situation with the garden, or this is, you know, we can't grow this. How, what do we do, you know, and, um, And we try, like, in a partnership to come to a solution. So we don't want to be creating more dependence. We want to create independence. That's, like, the big goal. And I think a lot of, you know, if you look at sort of, like, typically the way aid has gone in the past, it's not, you know, sort of hashing out the finer details at the grassroots level. So a lot of it ends up creating dependence, and it also feeds into this, you know, a a system which can err on the side of being highly corrupt. (laughs) So if you can actually make the effort to connect with people and, you know, we're lucky because we've been around now for 17 years, it's hard to believe that, um, that we have trust in the communities. So if we are coming to discuss something, you know, we have um, the opportunity to dialogue and partner with people and that helps us be more effective
1: as well. That's awesome. You, you also, you just, just like in talking about aid and stuff like that, you were talking about how you actually charge for your nets and for the products and stuff like that. And and it might be subsidized, but still, can you kind of just talk over why you do that versus just give it away and explain the difference between aid and, and yeah, why, why you charge for something versus just, cause I think a lot of people, myself included, you think when you're like trying to help, you know, underprivileged people in Africa, you're just going to give them something. You're like, Oh, why wouldn't I just give them this? Cause I can help out so much more by doing that. Um, explain kind of the, the, the well, process well, behind that.
0: that. Yeah. I mean, I think the instinct is really good. We want, we all want to help if we can, you know, and that is like the first reaction you know, because you want to make it better immediately, you want to make the situation improve immediately. Um, I think there's the whole issue of like sustainability and long-term work with communities where I believe, and I could be totally wrong, I'm not saying, you know, my way is the right way, but I believe that it can work. And I have seen it work in our setting um, where you develop a cooperative relationship it's a partnership. It's not, I'm coming to give you this thing and you must take it because it's free and you don't know what to do with it. And you have, you know, so you, you know, use your mosquito net to cover your pit latrine or your garden, you know, instead of your bed, because you got this free thing that you're not really sure what to do with. You know, you can, you can use it for something, but maybe not its intended use. So this way, like, just using the mosquito nets and the malaria education as as an example, people make the effort to come to the session. And if they, they learn about malaria, they learn about the mosquito nets, they can see the mosquito nets, you know, they have the choice. They can buy this net and they know it's a good price. Like it's heavily subsidized, but it still has a cost. So they have to produce some money for that. So the thing has value to them, right? So without that, you know, buy-in, then it doesn't have any value for them, right? Or we don't know what the value is. But what we have seen is that people who pay something for the nets, you know, the vast majority of them, like uh, based on our follow-up visits, 70% of them that we can see um, hang their nets correctly use them correctly, retain knowledge about how malaria is transmitted, we'll share that knowledge within the family. And that's exactly how you want education at this, in this kind of setting to continue. And, um, and so that's been, that has worked, that model has worked. And furthermore, that model has worked at our clinic because we charge a flat fee and that covers seeing the doctor um, and all of your laboratory tests and all of your medication for that visit. Now it's heavily subsidized, so like what the patient pays accounts for about 20% of the cost of seeing the patient. But you know, I I am a believer that um, you know people's health is a human right. So I want people to have access. If it was free, we would have the same issue about people not valuing it, and we wouldn't be able to sustain and continue. This way, the service has a value. You know. And one of the reasons we are so busy is because it's reliable. It's a price that is acceptable and people can tolerate. And, um, it is something that, um, people really need, you know, so it's, so they come, they're happy with the service. They tell their family, their friends, those people come back and then we are, you know, that's sort of how it's built over the years, but it's been slow you know, because community trust is, is, uh, takes a while to actually build, but it's a model that works, you know? Right.
1: No, I, I see it totally in my own life as well, where I am much more likely to value something that I pay for versus something that's just given to me. And it doesn't matter what it yeah. is. It could be, you know, yeah. it, it could be a book that I get, you know, it, if, you know, you download an ebook versus you buy the book or it could be a course or it could be, you know, whatever it could be like anything really. Uh, but you're just way more likely to value it when you know that your hard earned money essentially is is purchasing that. And so it, I, yeah. I totally agree that subsidizing it so that it's, you know, affordable for these people to be able to get health care, because I agree that health care should be something that, you know, everybody should be able to have access to. But by, by putting a price on it, it does give it more value, which, which is really cool to see.
0: And, and with that said, let me say that we do have some patients who are so down and out that they really cannot afford and they desperately need. So we have a subset of patients that we do provide 100% free access to. But we, you know they, we screen them to figure out their means, their situation. It's on a case-by-case basis, you know there are certainly those people out there and we don't you know we don't want to deny care to people who really need it who cannot pay but the vast majority of our patients are paying for their service and they're paying you know a very affordable fee for them um, and you know something that will also allow them to feel value or you know that the service has value for them
1: that's that's so. incredible so there, there's a couple different things I wanted to talk on, Jesse, that that as you were just explaining the whole situation, it made me think. One of them was the fact that you you talked about how obviously you went to the White Nile to go kayaking. And the whole thing really kind of, you know, obviously started around the fact that you were there for paddling and you went back on a second paddling trip and different things like that. Do you feel that this, you know, the soft power health as a whole would even exist without kayaking and, and just kind of explain the, the passion between, you know, like you've got your, your passion for paddling and you've got this passion to give back and, and help with the health clinic and kind of how the two blend together like a, a yin and yang almost?
0: Well, that's, um, I mean, that's such a good question, Nick. Um, And, you know, honestly, I don't think soft power health would exist without the paddling because it's like the paddling is the, you know, it's what brought me there. It's what opened my eyes to the problem of soft power, you know, that soft power health deals with. And it also um, allows me like in my current life to, you know, when I'm in Uganda to recharge my batteries every time I go paddling or just have it's like my meditation on the water my time for myself when I am not at the clinic or doing something clinic related and so it's um you know it's I love my paddling in Uganda as much as I did the first time I went there every time I go out there you know a lot of things have changed but that has remained the same you know and you know I think um I love kayaking. It's, you know, I'm not going to ever not love it. And, um, and so it has helped fuel. It's fuel for me to continue to do the work that I do that is not in my kayak. <laughs> that makes sense. You know,
1: no, I, um, I, I agree hundred percent. I think everybody needs that whether you call it like the recharge or just that thing that's just, it brings passion to their life that is yeah, enables them to just, yeah, to keep going. Do you know what I mean? Cause everybody doesn't matter what you do in life. There is always going to be hard times in the sense that, you know, you're always going to have the day where you're just exhausted. It's, you know, maybe the kids were just like running around, going crazy or whatever. And it could be as something as simple as just like going for a walk in the woods or on a trail or go paddling or whatever. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think I consider myself extremely lucky to have discovered this passion, you know. And that, you know, it has sustained me for so many years. You know, it's it's really interesting. I, I have to tell you that I always, when I first came into the competitive kayaking world, I looked at these paddlers ahead of me who were older or not even older, but maybe my age, a little bit older and had been paddling a long time. And then they retired. And I always wondered, hmm, wonder what it is in your brain that makes you go, it's time to retire, you know? And I, the funny thing is that like, after all these years, like, I don't feel ready to retire. I don't think I ever will retire. I love my kayaking, you know, so I don't want to stop. And, um, and that's one thing that's been really interesting, uh, you know, to sort of observe over time and, and not, you know, and I think we all have like personal goals and challenges and things that we want to, you know, achieve or do or whatever, but above and beyond that, just the daily practice and the daily joy of just getting out in your kayak, wherever you may be and whatever's in front of you is such a gift. I look at that. I really look at it that way. And I don't, I can go by myself. I can go, you know, with friends, with other people. doesn't matter. You know, all of it is great. So, um,
1: yeah. No, oh, that's awesome. I, I think you, you explained exactly. It is, it's that it's, in my cuz i've seen the same thing you know where where people retire and and i've always wondered a very similar thing like i love kayaking obviously and you see these you know so-called or not so-called like whatever they're professional kayakers and then they eventually retire and, and i've always kind of wondered that myself like what makes a professional kayaker want to retire from being a professional kayaker and i think in again this is just my personal opinion that they have lost that yin and yang where, where kayaking became the job instead of yeah. the passion. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. I think, um, and I guess maybe that's always the danger of becoming a professional athlete is that it becomes a job. But I think that's as right. long as you continue to keep the passion there or whatever it is in life that is your passion, I think you have that yin and yang and you always have that ability to go find, you know, your happy place And life continues on to just be happy once you have that happy place and you can go there um, regardless of of kind of what's going on in the outside world type thing.
0: Definitely, definitely, you know, and I think um, it's really interesting because also I realize now that that I am an older kayaking athlete, not really that older, but, you know, a little tiny bit older than you, um, (laughs) is that, um, you know, just feeling healthy and good and feeling good in your kayak you know for me it's one of those spaces of I feel it's like timeless and spaceless time has stood still you know my body feels great in my kayak you know I it's I feel so lucky for that I can't even tell you and um I want to continue that you know and but I never take it for granted you know so um that's that's also something it's sort of a nice positive feedback loop. You know, you go out, you have a great time in your kayak, you like enjoy all the different things that are open to you in that world from your kayak, you know, nature, white water, you know, whatever it it may be, you know. And um and and then you say to yourself when you get off the water, oh my God, that was awesome. I feel so good. I want to do that again tomorrow. You know, and so to be able to continue that is really um, I consider it a huge gift. I feel very lucky you know
1: for yeah. that i I agree a hundred percent, and I think there's something really powerful about just having that gratitude for whatever it is that you're grateful for in life and again i we spoke about this a little bit you know pre recording but when I go to Uganda and I get to help out with the health clinic and and so forth, and I come home, I always have a much stronger um, gratitude towards everything in life after seeing, mm-hmm. you know, really, just how lucky I am—the fact that I have, you know, running water, clean water, a flushing toilet, um, you know, blankets yeah. and shoes, and like and all this stuff that I think some people, uh, myself included, sometimes take for granted—and I try to really focus on, you know, having that gratitude and it just, once you're aware of it or, or made aware of it, um, I think just life is so much brighter. And I think, and maybe just the fact that you have the health clinic and you see, you know, poverty, you see the, the conditions and the situations that these people live in, it might just make paddling that much more enjoyable because you're able to be that much more grateful for all that there is.
0: I I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's no doubt about that. It gives you a whole different perspective, you know, on, um, you know, the accident of birth <laughs> that we are all born into, you know, where we're like, who knows who decided that, uh, you know, I could live this life and be in this situation where I have had this experience, you know. Um, but it's, it definitely, there's no doubt about it. That kind of perspective makes you or it has made me, let me say, much more grateful. That doesn't mean that you know when I come back to the United States, where I am now, and I go to the health food store and they don't have my favorite dark chocolate frozen avocado dessert, that I'm not upset about it. You know, <laughs> it's like it's uh, a <laughs> I can get over it. You know, it doesn't ruin my day. But 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 uh, you know, yeah, first world problems, absolutely. But it's okay. Perspective changes. You're you know you're in a different place, and um, I think it's just important to keep in mind the bigger picture, you know, that's for everybody. If we can, not always easy to do, but important to do.
1: Not always easy to do. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Not always easy to do, but important to do. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Jesse, I also wanted to ask about how, so obviously we're living in this, you know, kind of crazy world right now with COVID going on and all sorts of stuff happening. Can you explain Mm -hmm. how, So you obviously were were recording this here, you're in America instead of Uganda. Kind of just explain how you're dealing um, with COVID and how the health clinic and Soft Power Health is kind of running and and how you're dealing with it all.
0: Excellent question, Nick, thank you for asking. It has been a learning, you know, from day one of like COVID lockdown and even prior to that, you know, preparing for COVID lockdown, it's all learning. You know, none of us have lived through a pandemic before and you know not knowing how things were going to roll out in uganda even how long we'd be able to keep the clinic open and if we'd be able to continue our health education outreaches every single day in the beginning especially was kind of like okay what do we know today what's happening um but i am extremely grateful because we've been able to get all the uh, personal protective equipment that we needed for our staff and to have masks available for our patients. And we've kept the clinic open you know, continuously since the lockdown began in Uganda up to the present day. And we've been able to continue our family planning outreach, which has been in huge demand. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for that. And we've been able to also assist certain patients in, um, some of our patients have had really tough, tough, situations without, you know, all work basically came to a grinding halt. So a lot of people didn't have income. A lot of people could not buy food. And some of our most sick patients and really in desperate circumstances needed food aid. And we were able to help those patients and their families. So I'm really grateful for that. And finally, there are some patients that really needed major life-changing surgeries and so for, you know, a period of time, a short period in the beginning, like six to eight weeks, um, this, the hospitals that did surgery were completely closed, but then they reopened. So we could actually help some of the most in need patients get surgery. Um, that was really, really good as well. You know, we could continue that referral um, aspect of the work that we do. And, you know, so that's been great. I mean, I'm so thankful for that. Um, But, you know, now we have a little bit better idea because what is it, September, all this started at the end of March, Um, at least in Uganda, that's when the lockdown began. So we have a little more information, we've seen what's happened. And so far in Uganda, you know, uh, COVID has kind of done what it's done in other parts of the world which is people that were already had pre-existing conditions you know (laughs) obesity diabetes um underlying lung pathology or severe cardiovascular disease were more at risk to get sick um and that's what we know but overall the population in general in uganda has not gotten really sick that we know of you know um And so that's great to see, and um, certainly much less of a burden on the healthcare system overall than people anticipated, so that's a real plus. And then with the latest data that's come out, it really looks like many more people are asymptomatically infected with COVID, which probably means that many more people are infected worldwide and don't know it. And so therefore, the death rate, the lethality rate of the virus is less than we anticipated, which is also a good thing. So, you know, yeah, all this is actually quite good news for us and for the world.
1: (laughs) That's, that's incredible for sure. And it's, uh, I mean, just in general, I think having, I I mean, I guess my point of view is if you're able to be healthier or um, boost your immunity, you're, you're less likely to have that situation. How do you feel that or less likely to be affected by COVID. How do you feel that um, that the Ugandans or that the the people coming into your clinic? Do you feel that their immunity is stronger to fight that, or is weaker because well, I mean, of think, malaria? You know, what's,
0: or- what, 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 what's really okay? So, so okay, so there are many. Okay, you just in my mind made me think <laughs> of a whole bunch of things to say. So first thing, I'll start with the clinic in Uganda. So the thing is, you know. Um, I have observed some things in Ugandan health in general, like the, if, if Ugandans survive past five years old, and five years I'm saying five years, because five years is when we sort of typically recognize the immune system to be fully developed. Um, and so if Ugandans survive past five, usually their immune systems, if they don't have some underlying pre-existing condition. Um, are so robust and so strong. They're so much stronger than ours. You know, things do not affect them the same way that they affect us in the developed world. I mean, I I have seen things that have just blown my mind over the years, you know? And so when all of this was brewing in my mind, I was saying, I wonder if Ugandans overall are just going to fare a lot better because they, you know, the ones that have survived past five years old have such Strong immune systems, you know, that they can fight off all kinds of things like that. We in the West will likely have never survived, you know. So, um, so that you know, it remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's part of what's going on here. You know, I really am, and it's, and there is, there are other countries in Sub-Saharan Africa that are reporting similar you know, death rates with COVID where they're a lot less than what was anticipated, you know, so I don't, I think that this is not unique to Uganda, you know. Interesting. Um, and, and I do think, you know, the other thing that is really important for health anywhere is your mental state. You know, are you in a positive frame of mind? And um, there was a very interesting study done recently that analyzed all this data on, um, in particular, cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, what is that? So cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially a form of therapy, talk therapy, where if you have a problem, you work with a, a, a therapist or a group and a therapist, and you talk about how you can solve your problem, and you have support in this group, and then you have things that you do to solve your problem, whatever the problem may be. So they analyzed all this data related to cognitive behavioral therapy. And what they found out was that people who had engaged in cognitive behavioral therapy were like 80% of the time or more better able to solve all their problems and felt better, reported feeling better and healthier in their lives than people that were taking medication, and people that were doing other things to cope with whatever their problem was. And so to me, this was such a powerful indication of how your mind influences your health directly. And so if you are positive and you feel like, hey, I can, take, I can handle this, like I have the tools and I can make this situation better, whatever it is. And we're talking, they were talking, two patients who have, for example, rheumatoid arthritis. They had a whole group of patients who had rheumatoid arthritis. And these patients, some of them were taking very expensive rheumatoid arthritis medication and not getting relief. And then a whole other group were in this cognitive behavioral therapy. And they were reporting after you know, just a few months of therapy, a vast improvement in pain and function and outlook and everything. So much better than the group on meds. So I just want everyone should know about this, you know, because your mind is your most powerful healing tool that you have, and it directly affects your immune system. I mean, that, the statement I just made, it has been borne out in studies as well. If you're positive frame of mind, that helps your immune system stay robust and fired up. If you're negative, and if you're depressed, it also depresses your immune system. So, you know, this is, and you know, I'm not saying that life, we all go through our ups and downs. So definitely there are times when we're all down and, think, and things happen. That's just part of life. But if you can figure out how to keep yourself you know, in the gratitude frame of mind and in the place where you're feeling good about life and about possibilities, you're going to stay healthier. You're going to stay healthier. You're going to feel better. You know, No doubt about it.
1: I I totally agree. I just finished um I just finished a book called gosh, what is it called? Um Man's Search for Meaning. And yeah. it's it's about a psychiatrist or a doctor that um went into the concentration camps in uh uh yeah. under Hitler and you know, he half of the book is just about his life in concentration in the concentration camps and it just sounds horrible, but the other, the other half is kind of talking exactly about what you're explaining here is it's about your mind frame or your frame of mind and your thought process. And when you direct that, it has such a drastic effect on your physical body. Um, and he was calling it logo therapy. Is that, is that the right term? Have you heard of that before? Maybe I haven't, safe. but
0: it could be. I mean, that's definitely not my sort of area of expertise in terms of names and you know what. But it absolutely could be called that. But I think, you know, the thing is, whatever it's called, the meaning is the same. You know exactly what you're talking about. And I know that book, Viktor Frankl, the, mm-hmm. the answer to meaning. It's it's that's a profound and you know amazing book. So um, you're making me think I should pick it up and read it again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, no, I mean, I guess for anybody out there who, who maybe is either, I don't know, I guess more than anything struggling with the fear of, of COVID, maybe it yes. might be worth it a read um, or just like, you know, well, the world- think,
0: I think that, and I think also trying to um, also educate yourself about how your immune system works, you know, that will give you comfort because I think one of the things that people forget is you know your immune system is like on 24/7 there for you waiting to defend and protect you and the amazing thing about it is that it has memory so it sees let's say it sees this covid right and maybe you got sick or maybe you didn't but your memory t cells remember what that looks like so the next time if you're exposed again it's like okay i'm on it i've got the defenses ready to take care of this thing and so being positive gives your immune system even more of a chance to just jump out there and react quickly and protect you. So, you know, these things are very connected.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Jesse. So, I mean, just cause I'm, I feel like I could go in so many different directions with you on, on this conversation. Um, but I'm going to try to rein us back in a little bit. You've sure. done you've done so much already. I mean, you've gone to medical school, become a doctor. You've competed as, as an athlete on the world stage. You've built a health clinic in Africa. I mean, I consider you extremely successful <laughs> in so many things that you've done in life. You know, where do you go from here? What are your goals, you know, in the next, like, what do you see yourself doing in the next one, three, 10 years from now? Where do you donkey go from rescue, that?
0: Donkey rescue, Nick. It's all about donkey rescue. I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> Kidding. No, that is kind of a retirement plan, but I don't know if I'll retire. You know, y- you know that my partner is a donkey whisperer, so um, you know, well, he's he's a human donkey, but that's another <laughs> subject. <laughs> anyway, but um, we do love donkeys, and there are they have been horribly misunderstood animals. So no, later on in life, we're gonna you know continue on the donkey rescue track. Uh, right now, I think. Um, I, my main goal, honestly, is to keep soft power health going through this period of time where things are challenging. Um, we have been very lucky, like I said, so we just want to maintain, continue to do what we're do, doing, You know, help those patients and people that we can, and um, continue that. I mean, eventually, what I would really love for soft power health is that um, it can continue Um, you know, when I'm no longer here, (laughs) that would really be wonderful, Um, that it will continue to provide the healthcare, the health education to people really in need. Um, That is a big dream of mine. And, um, you know, and I think uh, kayaking, I want to, you know, continue to paddle and learn um, as much as I can learn new tricks, I'm still working on my phonics monkey. Can you believe that? Okay, I should I should have mastered that trick by now, but I haven't. You know, um, and same with all my McNasty's and Flatwater McNasty's. Those are kind of hard. Haven't mastered that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, no, there are a lot of things I still want to learn in kayaking. Rivers I want to go see, places to explore. You know, um, they're they're both here at home in America and you know internationally. And I think, you know, like I'm in Maine right now, and one of the things I'd love to do is go check out and surf at, in my kayak, all the tidal reversing fall spots on the coast of Maine. And there are many, and they are fun. So, you know, just as like a a little short-term project. Um, I really want our inner city kids kayaking camp to survive and sustain. Those kids, more than ever now, need an outlet in nature, you know, to do something totally new. and I'm really hoping that next year um, when things calm down with COVID, we can get that program going again because I love doing it. It's incredibly fun. And the kids, at least up until now, have really loved it too. So, you know, you've been a big part of that over the years and I hope um, that you and Emily will continue to do that. And, and, um, that would be wonderful. Maybe your kids too, as they come into paddling more, we'll see. <laughs> for
1: sure. I, I love the the inner city kids camp. And I mean, definitely once that opens back up, you can count us in for sure. Jesse will be there to help out. It's one of my favorite things to do throughout the year and we'll see how our kids do. We, we took them this past weekend actually to go, uh, Run the Nana. Hala, I heard, and I it got was a little super fun. From
0: the road, I hope
1: it was fun. <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. It was super cool. I don't know if I'd say that they're ready to help, you know, instruct yet, but uh, maybe you can
0: come swim in the pool with the kids. When yeah, we're, you know, getting them like teaching them wet exits and stuff.
1: Uh, that, that'd be good for that for sure. Uh, Jesse, I'm going to move us along to what I kind of call our fire round, and um, just kind of fire a couple questions at you that I ask. Uh, Pretty much all the guests on our show so far. Um, And I'm going to kick off with, do you have an inspirational quote that you live by?
0: Oh, I think there are several quotes that I live by. I think I mostly hear my dear departed dad's voice saying things from the breakfast table when I was, you know, when I was a kid. And some of them were, were like this one I love. Be the ping pong ball floating on the ocean so that you're light and nothing takes you down, that you can bounce around out there and not be, you know, swamped by a wave. I love that one. Then I, when I, you know, that's because it's also very much like a paddling metaphor for me too. But, you know, to his point, you know, just be, be able to bounce back, stay light, you know, and, um, and also... The other thing he always used to say uh, is, you know, give out positive vibes. Positive vibes attract positive vibes. So give out positive vibes. I love that one too. So those are very simple, but I think they are they have been, you know, profound and lived with me for my entire life thus far. Um, so I like those two a lot, you know, but there are others depending on the day.
1: I love it. It, it reminds me that I think I need to say more, you know inspirational or motivational or anything like that uh, kind of quotes to my kids at the breakfast table we we have breakfast every morning and I try to make them breakfast every morning and I sit down and, and eat with them but and we talk a lot and whatever but I think I need to like have maybe I'm just gonna make like a list of inspirational quotes and like every morning I'm gonna like yeah, pe- peel for, one off it. and you
0: know, like yeah because then then when when your kids are my age they're gonna be saying this back to you <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, so when my kids become your age and they get interviewed for a podcast, they will have the answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. No, I think that's a great idea. I'm totally gonna do that. Um, Jesse, do you have a favorite book?
0: Okay, well, oof, that's another tough question. I can. I have some books that I love and I would recommend to anybody because I think there's so much about like the triumph of the human spirit and what's possible if you put your mind to something. So. One of my favorite books, I'll just leave it to one on this podcast, is called A Pearl in the Storm um, by Tori Merton McClure. And this very unique woman, um, basically, I'll just, because this is sort of a known fact, but she became the first woman to ever row a boat across the Atlantic Ocean by herself, unassisted. Wow. And it's an extraordinary story. She's an incredible writer and I highly highly recommend it to anyone. Um it's uh I couldn't put it down. And I usually fall asleep reading in full, full disclosure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going to go out and buy that as soon as we're we're done recording. Jesse, it sounds awesome. Um do you have any recent lessons that you have learned uh that you'd like to share with us?
0: Oh, my gosh. I feel like, you know, every day I think I have a lesson. <laughs> um, you know, I think that the the main lesson I, from, I would say, the recent past is just about gratitude, you know, to wake up every day and feel so grateful for everything um, from the, the things... Like you mentioned before that you're reminded of when you go to Uganda, like being able to drink water out of the tap, having clean water, not having to you know, carry a jerry can for six kilometers filled with water from a borehole so you can drink water and make your dinner. Um, that have a safe place to live with a roof over our heads, you know, that our house hasn't been burned down or, you know, that we have a house. It's, I'm incredibly grateful for that. You know, we have a hot shower, we have a flush toilet, we have food, we have a beautiful ocean to look at and the hurricane didn't like sweep us away. So, um, you know, life is great. We have good friends and family, you know, and we are luckier than most people on planet earth. So gratitude.
1: I love it. I think that's been a
0: profound lesson during this time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do agree. Life is great. That should be a quote that I should tell my kids at breakfast for sure. Life is great. Um, (laughs) Jesse, if you could go back in time to any age and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Don't worry so much. Things will work out. They always do. That's a, that is definitely what I would say, you know, absolutely. I you know, love we that. Get caught up in the future, what, the, what things should be, how things should be, you know, who we should be. It's really not so important. You know, it's really important to enjoy the moment you have because you never know what's going to happen, you know, That's and, and all, and, and all of that, stuff that you know you're supposed to be or whatever it doesn't matter what matters is like that you're healthy and that you're happy and you have people that love you and care about you that's like all that matters really it is
1: it is all that matters and it's it's funny I have had I mean I've only interviewed you know a handful of people so far Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how many it's been so 10 or 20 or something like that and I would say at least at least half a minimum would be a third of the people have answered that exact same question the same way like really don't oh, worry stress less like the little things yeah. don't matter and and it's so funny that every time i hear that it reminds me yep don't do that like and i don't know i don't know if it's just that society kind of we fall into that trap or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Maybe I fall into that more often. Hey, everybody than falls I into
0: that trap, Nick, you know, yeah. that's life today. So it's always good to just re- remind yourself, you know, or as you know, our community remind each other of that. Cause we mm-hmm. all, we all do, we're human, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, um, it's easy to do.
1: Jesse, you have experienced so much in life. Um, what would you consider, one of your most awesome experiences
0: (laughs) oh my god there there are many but i think one of my most awesome experiences was getting lost in the jungle with ej in ecuador (laughs) (laughs) That was like that sounds crazy but it was such a crazy experience and it was so funny because it was like the classic you know experienced kayakers who should know better didn't do a single thing right but at the same time, you know, because we basically were totally unprepared to spend the night in the jungle in Ecuador, you know, when we were paddling this river that none of us had seen before and it flooded and, and we had no idea where we were going and we had no water, we had no food, we had nothing. <laughs> and the, the craziest thing about it was that like during the whole experience, you know, I never was worried. You know, it was like physically hard. I didn't like being eaten all night by bugs. I didn't, you know, I, it, there, were, there were things that, about it that were unpleasant, but it was a great adventure. It was an amazing adventure, you know, and I'm so grateful that I had that crazy adventure, you know, and um, yeah, it was, it, I mean, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it really was something I'll never forget, totally unplanned classic Eric Jackson, you know, nutty experience, but really good. And, um, and it was never like, oh my God, you know, something terrible going to happen. No, it was just like, okay, this is unfolding and we're just experiencing this as it happens. And, it's okay. It all worked out. It was fine. You know, we were a little hungry, a little tired, a little thirsty when we got back, very dirty, but, um, you know, it was all good. And we met this incredible family on top of, you know, this mountain that, you know, on one of the tributaries to, um, now I'm told to the, it's a tributary to the Amazon actually. But, um, anyway, it was spectacular. And this family was so nice and they took us in and, you know, fed us and gave us something scary to drink and we were all
1: good. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I love that story for sure. It reminds us all. I think that just, it's the adventure in life that when you look back on it, those are the memories, uh, that, and, and I mean, maybe I'm again, just speaking for myself, but when I look back at like the year at the end of the year, I'm like, Oh, what was the best part of this year? it's, it's always those adventures that I go on, whether they're good or bad, like, or like it, in the moment, you might not always be, you know, loving it to it its You may not max. be comfortable. Yes. Yeah.
0: You know, but later on you're like, wow, that was really cool. Yeah,
1: exactly. Totally. Exactly. Um, so Jesse, I've got one, one more question here. Um, and it's, it's one that I've actually taken from, uh, from a different podcast and and I thought it was just a really interesting thing. But if, if today was your last day and everything that you have done, all of your work, um, just everything was to go with you and all that you were left was a piece of paper and a pen and you got to write down three truths. That's it. Just three. What would your three truths be?
0: Oh my God, Nick, that's a tough one. You know, well, I think the three truths would be uh, do what you love, make sure you communicate how you feel to the people you love and have fun, have fun, never underestimate the importance of fun. That was another thing my dad also, always used to say as well. And I never really got that until later in life. And now, you know, I think that's really important.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it, Jesse. Um, okay, so my final question, I, I know I, I said the last one was the last question, but... <laughs> the final, this, final. This, this, the this final, is final. The final, final, final question for you. What is your definition of awesome?
0: Ooh, that's my definition of awesome. Okay, well, I think there are several, but one of them would be, okay, being self-contained on a kayaking mission to go you know, like, so either let's say going to, I'm just using this as an example, going to Corsica, having a van and being able to paddle all those different rivers and camp out under the stars um, or in the van if it's raining. So you have an option there. You don't have to be like in a soaking wet tent and, um, you know, be with friends and people that you love who share that experience, share it with people who can go on and share it with other people. And um, just have that adventure, that unplanned, you know, unknowing what's going to happen next. To me, that's awesome. I love the sort of spirit of adventure and unknown, exploring something new. Even going back to explore something you've done before, you can see it in a new way, you know. Um, but the simplicity of that, you know, it's it's being self-contained. You have everything you need, and then you go. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. That that is awesome, and and sounding to go to Corsica on a kayak trip with a van, not knowing what's going to happen next. I mean, that to me definitely sounds awesome. But I agree, just the simplicity and the spirit of adventure is is extremely awesome. Um, Jesse, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing all of your wealth of knowledge, uh, your stories. And, and everything, where is the best way for someone to connect with you or to help um, donate to Soft Power Health or to help give back or anything like that?
0: Well, thank you for asking, Nick. Um, the best way is to, you can reach me at jesse at softpowerhealth.org or go to Soft Power Health's website, which is www.softpowerhealth.org. And then there are ways to volunteer, to donate. Uh, My email is there, you know, anything, anything you might need to contact me or connect to soft power is there. And uh, we take all kinds of volunteers, medical, non-medical. Right now we aren't taking volunteers because of COVID because no one can travel to Uganda. But when we, the borders are open again, we will start that back up. Um, In the meantime, you know, please visit the website and um, tell us what you like or you don't like. Um, And, you know, if you have questions, contact me. I'm always happy to answer them. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about everything today. This was so fun.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so very much, Jesse. Again, it was an amazing conversation as always. Anytime I get to talk with you, I thoroughly enjoy it. And thank you for listening. I hope you guys got um, some value out of this, some knowledge. I know, again, it was an amazing time for me. And... If you guys haven't subscribed, please go ahead and subscribe and let us know what you think about the podcast with a rating or review, or just hit me up with a DM on Instagram. And again, just a big shout out to Jesse and Soft Power Health. If you guys haven't uh, heard of it before, go check out the website. And if you can, um, please just try to help donate. Just the littlest bit of help can help a long way, especially over in Uganda. Yeah, so that's all I've got to say about that. But I'm Nick Troutman signing off, and I'm wishing all of you an awesome day. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.